This is Channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rood, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candice. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In In the the city city of destiny. Hi, Doug. Hi, Candace. So today we continued our election series and talked to David Combs, who's running for District 3 on Tacoma City Council. I'm wearing one of his shirts right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He's so. the t-shirt man. He's the t-shirt man. All right. Listen in. All righty. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. So we're here today with David Combs. He's running for City Council, District 3. Mm-hmm. So District 3 is Hilltop, part of downtown, part of South Tacoma, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, Hilltop, Central uh, Neighborhood, and parts of South Tacoma. So yeah, it extends down. So not downtown, my bad. <laughs> uh, not necessarily, but if you're like facing down the hill when you're on the Hilltop, the cutoff on the bottom line is Tacoma Avenue. Okay. And then it shoots over to the left to 6th Ave all the way to Pearl Street, cuts over to 19th, down to Orchard, and then all the way to 56th, and then the the right cutoff is uh, Highway 16. Dang, so, you know it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've had to explain it a lot to, to a lot of people because, you know, the, uh, a good amount of people in Tacoma don't know mm-hmm. even what district they live in. You True. know, when I first uh, announced that I was going to run, I had— you know, tons of people come out of the works and say they were going to vote for me. And I'm like, ah, you can't, man. I wish you could, but you can't. So, you know, uh, and that, that's one of the reasons why I decided to run is because a lot of people are unfamiliar with the whole local political process. Absolutely. That's kind of why Channel 253 exists, mm-hmm. partly. Yeah. 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 We got to inform the citizens. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The citizens of Tacoma. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Um, so you're running against, just to kind of lay it out for people, you're mm-hmm. running against Keith Blocker, mm-hmm. who's in a, the incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, he's running for his second term. Have you run for office before? I have not. You have not. Okay. So how's the campaign been going? The campaign's been going great, actually. <laughs> I, um, you know, when people ask me, um, I always tell them I'm having a really good time. It's, <laughs> it's a great way for me to be able to connect with my community in a, in, in a way I wouldn't be able to as just a resident or a business owner. Um, door knocking has been um, a real pleasure because mm-hmm. I've been able to now connect names with faces of a lot of people I've seen around town, mm-hmm. seen at the Y, seen you know on the hilltop walking around. So that's been uh, a really great experience. And overall, um, the campaign has been going really well, building a lot of support, um, accomplishing all the the things on my checklist that I've that I've you know we laid out me and my campaign manager laid out so overall it's been going great <laughs> so we were talking a little earlier um, and you said that there's some things that you've learned that you know you didn't expect or yeah 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 and and you know I think you know the average person kind of knows the the gist of how politics go you know behind the scenes it can get get a little nitty gritty and but you know going to um, some of these political meetings you know legislative district meetings um, I kind of saw the 
the process of endorsements, um, going to a lot of these endorsements uh, interviews has been interesting um, because they do a really good job of vetting you and they want to <laughs> make sure you're the right person. I think I've been to more uh, interviews in the last three or four months than I have in my entire life. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm used to being in the with the spotlight on me, mm-hmm. you know, to say the least. Um, but, you know, another thing that's been interesting is seeing a lot of, like, the dog and pony show that goes on, the smoke and mirrors that goes on, people, um, you know, telling it was alternative facts <laughs> and things like that. Like, give me an example. Um, so, at one of the last legislative district endorsement meetings, um, you know, I saw a few of current council people, uh, city council, uh, county council, and, um, you know, I don't want to say parade around, but but boast uh, about how they're champions of the, you know, fighting for homelessness, fighting for immigration, immig- uh, immigrant rights and things like that. And it's just interesting to me um, to see how the homelessness problem steadily grows mm-hmm. in our neighborhood, um, how uh, the Northwest Dissension Center still remains in operation mm-hmm. Um, and things like that in a city, uh, Tacoma, where we consider ourselves progressive, um, seeing th- those things continue to happen and seeing our leaders, you know, boast about how they're doing a good job at taking care of these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself, and this isn't a question that I had written down, but I think it's a good one since you, this, these are. Uh, city council races are like not partisan races. Mm-hmm. Like you don't register as a Democrat or Republican right. or whatever. So, would you consider yourself left of Keith? Yeah, I, I would consider myself definitely more left than Keith. Um, and I think that shows when it comes to who we align ourselves with, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the way a lot of politicians show who they align with is who they accept. Uh, contributions from and you know my campaign is completely grassroots I've rejected money from fossil fuel companies uh, real estate developers um, and the and you rejected money like they came to you and said I want to give you money I wouldn't say reject (laughs) money but I would say I wouldn't accept money um, from those types of entities because that just shows your alignment and when we're talking about well when I'm talking about uplifting the most marginalized and impacted people in our communities um, we can't do things that are going to enable the issues that are affecting them. We can't do things like accept money from the groups that are um, oppressing these these um, disenfranchised groups of people. And when, you know, from a businessman's standpoint, when you accept money um, from anybody, that either is a contract or you, you are obligated in some type of way mm-hmm. to those people. So, um, you know, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that um, if you're accepting money from certain entities that you're not aligning yourself with them. Give me, give, give us an example of some of those entities. Uh, the GEO Group, they're in charge of um, running the Northwest Detention Center. They're also in charge of the construction of... No, PSC is actually in charge of the construction of uh, the LNG plant that's getting built down on our port on tribal land against the the tribe's wishes. 
Um, those two are the main two ones. Um, some of the real estate developers who are coming in and building all these, what I like to call unaffordable housing, mm-hmm. um, which is contributing to our, un- our affordable housing crisis and our homelessness issue. Um, when we're talking about solving issues, we can't align ourselves with um, groups like that who are contributing to the growth of these these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we had your opponent Keith mm-hmm. on the podcast a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and um, he we talked about homelessness and affordable housing, obviously. Yeah, and he had said that in the city's for the city's perspective, we just need to build more housing. Right. Like right now, it doesn't matter if it's market rate or affordable; we just need more of it so there's less of a squeeze. Right. Well, but you don't see it that way. I no, that is that is true. But what's happening is we're not building just affordable housing we are building housing but it's not affordable Mm -hmm. to the average tacoma resident Mm -hmm. you know and right now the average tacoma resident is paying um, more than 30 percent of their household income so when we're talking about building affordable housing it needs to be affordable housing um, across the board we need to build housing at the 80 percent amr we need to build it at the 60 the 50 Mm -hmm. and even the 30 area median income yes yeah (laughs) so we need to do a better job at that um i read an article in the Tacoma News Tribune a couple of weeks ago that said um, what the I think it's called the multifamily housing tax credit mm-hmm. tax that they're giving to the developers um, out of I think it was since 2016 there's only been about 51 affordable housing units built mm-hmm. under that tax credit pretty crazy yeah mm-hmm. so when you look at things like that you can see that um, building affordable housing for the average Tacoma resident isn't a priority for the city. Ooh, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Um, so we jumped right into policy, but uh, tell us about yourself and kind of your Tacoma story. Well, I'm, me and my family moved here in Tacoma um, back in 99, so about 20 years ago. I'm an Army brat. My dad's mm-hmm. rest- retired sergeant major. And we moved out to, to Spanaway. Um, where I went to school in Parkland um, after I graduated, uh, went to Eastern for a couple years, moved back to Tacoma, lived everywhere from, you know, Spanaway, Lakewood, Parkland, uh, the mall area, and now I live in um, the Hilltop area where I run a business with my brother on the Hilltop called the T-Shirt Man, probably the best T-shirt printers in Tacoma, <laughs> maybe the world. Um, and, um, you know, being on the hilltop is is a different experience than living in you know other parts of Tacoma because it is um, like predominantly low income, predominantly black, historically black, and it's one of the last parts of Tacoma that's kind of like seeing the benefits or reaping, not even reaping the benefits, but seeing uh, the economic growth and change that has been happening to Tacoma for a long time, and you know with change and growth you also see. Uh, the good and the bad side of it. So right now, um, behind my shop uh, is People Park, People's Park. And mm-hmm. if you've driven by People's Park in the last uh, year and a half, two years, you can kind of see, um, you know, just a snapshot of what our homelessness problem is. And, you know, that's what kind of prompted me to run is seeing all these issues happen, the gentrification going on, um, people being displaced, the homelessness problem steadily increasing. Kind of made me want to look into, like, like, what's being done 
to all these issues because I hear things from the police department. I hear things um, from the community, and they're they're always contradicting. They're always contrasting. So I wanted to do my research myself, and I saw that really nothing that's going to solve these issues is is being done. And I couldn't, I can no longer sit back and just watch as these problems grew, and watch as you know problems across the nation grew, and see saw that like you know government officials would rather. Uh, maintain the status quo rather than challenge it. Not just maintain it, but be rewarded for it, mm. you know. And I thought that um, stepping up for my—this would be a great way to step up for my community and at least bring awareness to the political scene and, you know, show people that, you know, you don't have to have certain post-secondary credentials or, you know, certain things on your resume to—, to be able to run for city council. And I think we need more and more and more people running for city council. More and more people are represented. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, you kind of answered the, why are you running question? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, okay, we'll come back to, I wanted to talk about like, tell us something that most people don't know about you, but okay, okay we'll come back to that. Cause I think we're on a good track. Okay. Um, so what you talked about the status quo a little bit. Mm-hmm. What differentiates? Can you explain that and also tell us what differentiates you from your opponent? Well, the status quo um, in David Combs's <laughs> definition is, you know, maintaining what is comfortable and easy. You know, and and like a lot of people who are in the corporate world or the political world, when you maintain the status quo, that elevates you, you know, in your status. Or and and you know, a lot of people in those type of arenas like the status quo because like I said it's comfortable Mm. Um, for me when you want to bring real change or you want to bring real progress you have to challenge the status quo and I believe that we need strong enough leaders who have you know strong enough backbones to want to do that when you look at the voting um, tendencies of our city council is always 90, 9-0, 9-0. You know, they're voting unanimously on all these issues um, that really are just in the interest of a few and not of, you know, the entire um, community of Tacoma. And, you know, when you look at a lot of the issues that we're facing and how they're steadily growing, why aren't we making them a priority? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we putting them first? Why aren't we, you know, funding, um, funding to get to find those solutions? And and why are we thinking about three hundred million dollar stadiums instead of spending three hundred million dollars on solving homelessness? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, I think uh, challenging the status quo is a is is what we need to to you know get on the path of solving our solutions because until then um we're always going to have individuals that are going to be slipping through the cracks mm-hmm. um we're always going to have people who are being impacted by these issues that are definitely solvable and if we're a city that considers ourselves progressive then we need to make these a priority mm-hmm. so what yeah what differentiates you from Keith well, other than the fact that he's in the job right now <laughs> yeah uh, i mean there's there's probably a lot um you know, but for the main part, I think that um, the fact that I'm aligning myself with the people, mm-hmm. I want to be accountable. I want to be held accountable by the people. That's why my grassroots campaign is so important. I think people have woken up to the fact that um, or people have woken up and are paying more attention to politics, especially in the last you know four years since, you know, 45 has come into office mm-hmm. and they, they kind of can see how. 
um, money in politics is very problematic. So that just goes back to, you know, earlier saying that um, it's important to know who these candidates are, are aligning themselves with. So if we're aligning ourselves with individuals or corporations that don't have the interests of the people at the forefront, then how do we expect those politicians or leaders to put our interests at the forefront, mm-hmm. you know? So are you saying that your opponent's taking money from some of those organizations you mentioned earlier? Yeah, uh, I think eight out of the nine uh, council people have taken money from the GEO group. Mm. And what's, what, what's sad is that it's really chump change. It's only a couple, couple hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing big. So when I, when I look at that, you know, in my mind, you know, that tells me that you were easily bought and you sold out the people for just a few dollars, right. you know? Yeah, when I was a reporter, I was pretty surprised to see the difference in what people would say, and especially when they're running for office right. and in Tacoma, especially, yeah. and the difference in what they would say and who showed up on their public disclosure commission yep. reports as giving them money. It was always pretty shocking to me. Yeah, I would really, uh, I would really like to see more people pay attention to the mm-hmm. the PDC. I think if people paid more attention, um, you know, we would see. A lot of these current electives get voted out or not get reelected because you know it, the saying you know goes follow the money. Mm-hmm. If you follow the money, then then you know where people's interests are. You know where people's priorities are, mm-hmm. and you can definitely do that if you you know follow the PDC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know, the Public Disclosure Commission tracks uh, donation or donations, all campaign finance, and you can go to pdc.wa.gov and literally search by name for any candidate. So you should do that. Yep. <laughs> um, so in your mind, what are the top three issues facing your district and then the top three issues facing the city? Top three issues facing the district, of course, is homelessness, affordable housing, and the gentrification of the hilltop. Um, those are definitely my top three prior- priorities. Um, when it comes to homelessness, we need to um, really change our our mindset with homelessness. You know, according to the uh, the Pierce County Point in Time survey that they did in 2018, um, throughout the whole county, at any given night, there was about 1,762 people that are, you know, sleeping on the streets. And when you take that number um, compared to the population of Tacoma, which is about 215,000, it's only that number is only about point zero zero eight of a percent of our entire population. So homelessness is definitely solvable. I think in a lot of people's mind, um, homelessness is this out-of-control, growing, unsolvable problem. But when you look at the numbers, like, it's definitely solvable. And there's cities and states all across the country that are solving chronic and uh, veteran homelessness. So we need to first change our mindset to say that this is definitely a solvable problem. Because if, you if you're trying to reach any type of goal in life and you have a negative mindset, on it, you're never going to reach it. So we definitely got to change our mindset. And then also come up with a, a plan, you know, like what's the city's plan for homelessness, for solving it? Does anybody know? You know, like do we have a number that we want to get to or anything like that? What's what's, what's our plan? And I think we need to come up with a strategic plan, lay it out for the, the city government, lay it out for the community, 
and encourage community accountability and come together as a whole to solve these issues because the resources are there. I don't think it's a lack of resources. I just think it's connecting the individuals to these resources and, and having a strategic plan. So to play devil's advocate and push yep. back on you on this. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so the, Keith, your opponent, mm-hmm. and the city council would say, you know, we've sunk millions of dollars in the yeah. last three years into right. the stability site, which is like a large tent city in the, yep. in the Dome District. Yep. Um, we are planning to build thousands of units of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. We have an affordable housing action plan. Mm-hmm. We want to build, I think they want to build like 6,000 units in the next couple of years. Right. And then they also want to build permanent supportive housing right. for people who are homeless, but likely are never going to be able to get a job and be self-sustaining. Right. So I think they would say they do have a plan. What's wrong with that plan? Well, the, what's wrong with that plan, it doesn't address the, the the holes and the cracks in the path of, you know, someone being impacted by homelessness and someone being independent from those services. Mm. What's happening with that, and like I said, there's a lot of resources, a lot of nonprofits out there that are doing really good work. Um, Rescue Mission, the Nativity House. But where we find the problem is, is that there's no uh, intersectionality between each each of these organizations. So, mm-hmm. for instance, like let's say someone um, overdoses and gets um, checked into the emergency room, receives those that medical services that they need, and then what happens is they get discharged right back into homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when that happens that revolving door of homelessness continues to spin. And it happens with that with emergency housing. Once they've checked into emergency emergency housing, they receive those services um, for, you know, 30 to 90 days, I think it is, or 30 days, and then they get discharged right back into homelessness. Mm -hmm. So we have to come up with a fully intersectional, holistic um, system that provides wraparound services and it could be something uh, as simple as like uh, the a medical record you know when you go when you check into a hospital you have a medical record if you see a different nurse if you see a different doctor um, they can look at your medical record and know what type of um, you know medication you're on what type of um, uh, uh, medical services you've received and all down the line what happened what's happening now is that people receiving these services, you know, different entities, but these entities aren't aren't talking, aren't talking to mm-hmm. each other. So they don't know, you know, how many times this guy has been around um, the rotation. They don't know, uh, you know, if, you know, this is the first, second, third time that he's experienced homelessness or or where, where along the line this individual has fell off or fallen back into homelessness. Mm-hmm. So as those revolving doors continue to spin, um, the people who are paying for that is, is us, the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been shown that it's cheaper to solve homelessness than it is to enable it. And right, right now, when we sprinkle a little, a little bit of money here and we sprinkle a little bit of money there, it's not really you know, putting on a, path, uh, on a path to solve it. It's just really doing that. So we can say we're doing something, right. you know, when it's, when it's campaign time or when people ask us about what we're doing for homelessness, we can say, oh, we spent, you know, X amount of million dollars on the stability house or stability side. We spent X amount of million dollars building, uh, you know, uh, uh, an extension to the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. And in reality, those type of things do help, you know, but if we're, ta- if we're talking about being serious about solving chronic homelessness and veteran homelessness, then we need a fully integrated system that's mm-hmm. going to allow us to 
um, you know, cut back on people continuously falling through the cracks and going through that revolving door. That's a really good point. Um, in my day job, I work in workforce development mm-hmm. now, and we are working on a common referral system with all our workforce development partners for that same reason, mm-hmm. so that you see kind of all the services someone has gotten, mm-hmm. where they've been referred, who they've spoken to. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um and then what'd you say for top three issues facing the city? Uh, affordable housing mm-hmm. and the gentrification of Hilltop. Those were the three. For the city? For the Oh, for the city. Yeah. Is, uh, um, I think the top two is homelessness and affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the city, I think economic growth is important. Um, I think a lot of our leaders now think the, the best way to have economic growth is to bring in more corporations, um, more big business and things like that. But for me, it's really um, figuring out a way to uplift um, the individuals who are the most marginalized. Because if we give people a livable wage, if we give people health care, if we make it easier for people to live in the city of Tacoma, those people are going to have extra disposable income that they'll be able to circulate through the economy. And that'll be immediate. Instead of bringing in these... Um, this big business where we know um, that whole trickle-down economics doesn't really work. You know, it's really about trickle-up. So if we're, we're talking about uh, stimulating our economy, we need to give people livable wages, uh, health care, make it easier, make it more affordable for individuals to live in Tacoma, and also be more of a resource and an asset to our, our small businesses. Mm. You know, stop giving these real estate developers all these tax breaks and give them to our small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Mm. Uh, make it easier for people, entrepreneurs, to start businesses. You know, streamline it. I think, um, you know, you can ask a lot of small businesses, um, you know, how it is to navigate that system. And it's not that easy, mm-hmm. you know. And, and for for a lot of entrepreneurs, we're, we're smart people, you know. And so we want to make it to where anybody who has any type of entrepreneurship um, goals in mind, you know, the process is streamlined. And instead of being just a tax collector the city needs to be more of an asset and a resource to small businesses yeah that's Mm -hmm. a good that's a good point so that's something i think the city hears a lot and i've heard Mm -hmm. a lot that it's frustrating to be a small business in the city so what are some examples of how they could streamline things or how they could make it easier for small businesses uh i think they need to definitely have a standalone department you know simply called the the city of tacoma small business department Mm -hmm. where somebody can go and you know Get the paperwork of how to, you know, file for a small business. Get the paperwork of how to um, file for all your your licenses and fees. Um, you know, get resources of where they can go to find small business loans. Uh, you know, just like, you know, the my solution to homelessness, the, the wraparound services, the one-stop shops. Um, I think that would definitely benefit a lot of people, um, just streamlining and making the process a lot easier. Um, I like to see us you know, the city allowing um, uh, different types of businesses to, you know, like food carts and, and food, you know, la- you know, relax the, the, the regulations on food trucks and mm-hmm. things like that um, and allow more businesses for people in the lower income level to be able to start. Um, and then and then pretty much holding their hand through the, the process of starting that. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's a good place to take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah. Channel 253 is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. They're my airline of choice. 
When I need to book a flight, I don't mess with the travel sites anymore. I go straight to Alaska Air and book direct. It's not even a question for me. When I'm on board, the flight attendants are courteous and the service is efficient. That's really important to me. Also, they've got a killer cheese plate. Seriously, get the fruit and cheese plate next time you fly. And they have Northwest Craft beers. I feel like a human when I fly Alaska. I'm a customer, not a commodity. Alaska is such a good airline and has such good service, I forgive them for sponsoring the Timbers, my rival. And if I'm willing to do that, you know Alaska must be good. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP, and I fly Alaska. All right, we're back. Um, don't forget that if you're enjoying our series on the election and our interviews with all the candidates, to please become a member of Channel 253. It's at channel 253com membership. It's $4 a month, a mere sum, or $40 a year. So, David, um, we're talking about small businesses, Mm -hmm. talking about what they need in Tacoma. um, And you had kind of mentioned some small businesses that are like lower barrier to entry that folks could get into pretty easily. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So some of those things could be like food carts. You know, when you go to a lot of these, um, you know, like the the Hilltop Street Fairs or Art on the Abs or even Taste of Tacomas, you see a lot of um, individuals who could probably – do this type of business, you know, on a day-to-day basis if they were allowed to and if they had the um, the the environment to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think promoting those type of businesses, um, even ones like the, the lawn services or even junk removal, mm-hmm. um, you know, demo removal, things like that, businesses that are um, low startup costs but you could turn a profit pretty quickly. You know, um, T-shirt printing business is one of those. <laughs> uh, me and my brother started our business with um, no loans. We, you know, to this day we haven't taken out any loans. We've been in business for about <clears throat> six years, um, and you know, I would also like to see, you know, down at our port a recycling facility being built. You know, and and also require by law that we recycle here in Tacoma. Mm. And that way we can, you know, reduce our waste, number one, um, fight climate change. Well, fight climate change, number one. <laughs> um, reduce our waste, number two. And then also, you know, I remember when I was younger, uh, living in El Paso, Texas, you know, they had a recycling plant nearby, and they allowed people to bring, like, aluminum cans down, and you would get you would get money for it. And, you know, all around the neighborhood, you would see people, you know, driving their trucks, collecting, you know, recyclables from businesses, recyclables from homes, and taking them down to the recycle facility and getting, you know, cash back for that. And I think, you know, a facility um, being built could also encourage individuals to start businesses like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have a truck and they can go around, you know, to the neighborhoods or the restaurants, collect all the recyclables, take them down to the, the port, get them recycled, earn a little bit of cash here and there, um, and, and just things like that. I think we we have to start thinking outside the box, you know, and that's, that's the whole thing about status quo. It doesn't allow you to think outside the box, and we need to look to other cities, you know, and see what they're doing that's that's working and take though that those plans and kind of tweak it to Tacoma and implement it that way. Um, the whole notion that we have to have big business and and big corporations coming in to have economic growth is is one of the past, you know, and especially especially when you think about a city of Tacoma where we where sm- small business really thrives, you know, if, if it's a good one, you know, because the, the community really does a good job of supporting small businesses um, if they do a good job. You know? <laughs> and we need we need more of that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So what you're talking about sounds kind of like um, like grassroots, which is something you've brought up a lot today, mm-hmm. um, a grassroots approach to helping people get employment, essentially, and yeah. an income. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what, kind of going back to the last four years on the city council and what your opponent has, I guess, done in that time, mm-hmm. what's something that Keith has done that you would have done differently? I wouldn't have allowed the light link to come down Martin Luther King way. I don't I really don't understand why. Like would you not bring it here at all or just specifically not down MLK? Not down MLK. Mm-hmm. I mean if I had if 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 I had the choice I wouldn't have brought it down at all. I think we could have used that money on um something that would benefit the hilltop more. I think a transit center um, in the hilltop would have benefited the the people who live on the hilltop more with direct routes that go straight from the hilltop to SeaTac, straight from the hilltop to Spanaway, Lakewood, Olympia, uh, to Seattle. Um, especially like individuals who are um, working minimum wage jobs, they could they could you know take a direct bus route to SeaTac where the minimum wage is a little bit higher, earn a little bit higher income, even in Seattle or or Lakewood or or Spanaway where there might be more jobs available there. Um, I think having the Lightning come down MLK uh, really puts a burden on a lot of the small businesses there, not just during the construction, but when the construction is complete, there will be no more street parking Mm. in front of a lot of businesses. And, like, for a business like mine that's kind of on the corner where, you know, the alley parking is available for us, it really doesn't affect us that much. But for businesses like Broken Spoke and Fucking and Red Elm, the ones that are in between the sweet streets where, you know, all they have is that street parking, that's really going to have an impact. And if there wasn't such a disconnect between the city council and small business owners, they would have foreseen that. Mm. Um, and I think that you know, because of that disconnect, you're seeing a lot of disregard of the needs of the small businesses in that area. Um, you could talk to a lot of the businesses in on um, Pacific Avenue in the UWT area where the lightning comes through. They don't like it. You know, it, it <laughs> Still clogs, to this day. Yeah, it clogs up traffic. You know, you could talk to John Crouch, uh, who, the owner of Bleach, and he hates the fact that, you know, they continue to try to build these um, – the light link down major roads, you know, mm-hmm. Pacific, Division, MLK, these are all high traffic roads and, you know, it's affecting a lot of businesses. And so I wouldn't have allowed that. Um, now the Hilltop Street Fair um, is 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 at risk of being no more mm. because Sound Transit doesn't want to stop the train for one day. Really? I mean, yeah. I didn't, oh, I didn't know about yeah, that. So, so the Hilltop Business Association is still in talks with trying to have them, um, you know, make accommodations. But as of now, there's a threat that um, it won't happen. So I definitely wouldn't have, yeah, I yeah. definitely wouldn't have had that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think this is something where a lot of people that I've talked to as a, when I was a reporter, just, it feels like it's a little, it's just being done without, really consulting both residents and business owners. Yeah, when you see people, when you see, like, the articles in Sound Channel or, or when you see um, pro-Link people, you know, write or speak about it, you know, they always say, you know, the voters voted for it, you know, the voters voted mm. But when you look at the, the the voter turnout, you know, for some of our local elections, it's only about 13 to 15%. So, yeah, the voters did vote for it, but did the 
did the people really vote for it? No. And that's kind of on the people, you know, for not coming out and voting, like, of course. But at the same time, let's not, you know, when when people are giving pushback of, uh, about it, let's not try to use terms in the way to make it sound like the pe- this is what the people wanted. Right. You know? Yeah, I think, like you said, there's a lot of unintended consequences, yeah. maybe, or just consequences that weren't foreseen. Mm-hmm. Um so the gentrification of Hilltop has been accelerating with the building of the Link Light Rail yep. down MLK. Um, what policy would you put in place to stop that from happening and to kind of help pe- keep people in their homes who live there now? Well, we need to definitely fight for rent control in Washington. I know like when people hear rent control, they think it's like um, – an infringement on somebody's constitutional rights, you know, like these landlords' constitution. But it, it really isn't. It's really for the benefit of um, the renters. And, you know, you can see why rent control needs to be in place, especially when you look at, you know, the displacement of people in um, the hilltop. And it's it's a lot of individuals who are elderly on fixed income, have owned their houses for decades, been in, the houses have been in their families for generations. And what's happening with all this growth is that the property taxes are skyrocketing. And it's not just them. I've heard, you know, teachers who've bought houses in Ruston 10, 15 years ago for $80,000, you know, have out, outright owned their homes for years. And then now they're getting property taxed out of their house. I talked to a teacher from Sheridan Elementary, and he said he his plan is to build a um, ADU mm. onto his house so he can live in it, <laughs> and he can rent out his house to somebody just so he can s- stay in his ADU of his house. Mm. And for me, that's you know tragic because no one should ever have to make those type of plans just to want to stay in the area that they've invested in. Mm. You know, so... Some type of policies that we could put in place is definitely fighting for rent control, um, ensuring that uh, rent increases um, are capped out mm-hmm. um, for, you know, an extended period of time. Maybe like, you know, it can only go up 10 percent for the first two or three years that an individual is living there. Um, we definitely need um, a better process for sure. For people who are facing eviction, you know, no one should ever have a house one day and then the next day be homeless. You know, there needs to be a process to where someone can get the resources that they need to fight eviction before they become homeless. Um, I think we need to work with a lot of the bankers that are out here giving these home loans when they, you know, start to see the the characteristics of someone about to default mm. on their home loans, maybe step in and get them some resources or, or provide them whatever resources they have, like refinancing their homes or, or you know, getting these um, home, home loan assistance or home assistant loans and things like that, providing those just to slow or stop the process of mm. eviction. Yeah. And so for for those, so that's, that's really helpful. Those sound like they're more for renters. Mm-hmm. So for those older folks on a fixed income that you talked about that, you know, outright own their homes, mm-hmm. but property taxes are meaning right. that they can't afford to stay there anymore. Right. Are there em- anything that we could do to help those people? Yeah, right now I think there's, um, if you are like a senior and you're on a fixed income, the city will cap out your property tax okay. increase. And I don't know where it caps it out, but we need to lower that cap mm-hmm. also, you know, and maybe set a fixed rate 
you know, or 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 a fixed amount that um, so someone who you know meets certain criteria will pay in property tax. I think we need to have specialized um, policy that that maybe caters to only like areas of the hilltop. You know, maybe have special policy that only caters to you know certain types of um, communities that are that are facing like gentrification um, and things like that. Um, without like knowing all the exact policies that are in place mm-hmm. right now, those are probably the ones I would I would fight for. But you know, I think in the in the most part, we need someone who's gonna fight for what's right. And I know that sounds kind of corny and cheesy, but it's real because, you know, from the time I started to run for city council, you know, I've gone to a lot of city council meetings, hearings, and really what it is is that people feel now that they don't have a voice. Mm. And we need, you know, leaders who are going to, you know, not just give the people a voice, but first listen to what they want and listen to what the real needs of the community are and then fight for that Mm -hmm. so i think you you hear this a lot when someone is kind of a political newcomer Mm -hmm. and they have all these amazing ideas Mm -hmm. and they are really passionate and then they get into office and they're hit with the like cold hard reality of what it is to work in a bureaucracy how do you think that would impact you i'm expecting that and i kind (laughs) of You know, I kind of know that, you know, there's going to be some of my ideas and dreams that are going to get smashed and shut down. But when we're talking about, you know, you know, the idea of, you know, uplifting the most marginalized, looking at at all our issues with the equity lens and making sure that the most impacted and disenfranchised people are uplifted. I think no policy or no type of bureaucracy should keep someone from fighting for the for that you know and i think that you know there's there's going to be a lot of smart people that are that i'm going to be working with and i can lean on those type of people to kind of you know instead of just letting my dreams and visions die (laughs) maybe um tweak them a little bit to where it it can work Mm -hmm. and then also you know i think voting on principle is important I think what we see a lot now is our, our leaders voting out of peer pressure. Mm-hmm. That's why we see a lot of 9-0, 9-0. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think voting off a of principle and showing the people to come with that, at least you stand with them. Because any nothing passes unless it's a majority vote. Mm-hmm. So if it's 8-1, it's still going to pass. Mm-hmm. You know, So I don't understand why we each council person has to vote along Every time, every time, every time, mm-hmm. you know, so I think, you know, voting on principle and showing people that that you stand with them is important. And we don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me makes you wonder about what the political machinations are that are going on behind yeah, the scenes yeah, yeah. that create that. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And, you know, for me and, and I've heard some of the stories, too, about. <laughs> and I don't I don't want to get strong armed on yeah, the city council. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, you know, you know, you know people going in the back and getting you know like you said strong arm you know for asking too many questions and you know i have a father who's an ex-drill sergeant you know and like i said he did 30 years in the military retired sergeant major nobody intimidates me like him (laughs) you know and i've grown up with that in my household and you know he you know he's strict 
you know, you know, all about school, you know, making sure me and my brother, you know, did our best in everything that we did. So for me, you know, I'm not very easily intimidated. Mm -hmm. So if I'm speaking up for what's right, there's not going to be a lot of people in this world that can tell me that I'm wrong. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Right on. Um, so why are you, I kind of in closing, and then I have one more fun question for you. Why are you the right person for this job? I'm the right person because I believe that the city council position should be someone of the community, for the community, and most importantly, accessible to the community. Um, I'm a resident of the Hilltop. I'm a business owner. I tell people my candidate hours are the same as my business hours. Mm -hmm. You can come into my store Monday through Saturday, 11 to 5, with whatever issues that are impacting you. And if I, t I have time to talk then, I will. If I don't, we'll set up a time. And my listen approach, my, my listen first approach, I think is very important because when we're talking about representing the community, being a liaison or an ambassador to the community, we need to be able to know what the real needs and the real wants of the community are. And if you're not listening to the community, if you're not a part of the community, you'll, you'll always have this disconnect. And that's what we see now. And I believe that my grassroots campaign allows me to keep my loyalty with the people and not with the entities that try to hold the power above us. Mm. All right. Last question. Yeah. Most underrated place to eat in Tacoma? Most underrated place? I just rediscovered Jubilees. It's under new management. Yeah. And I went there um, a couple weeks ago for a meet and greet, and I was pleasantly surprised. Crinkle cut fries. Yeah, and mm. the, the prices are really decent. The milkshakes are bomb. Um, they've really done a, a good job of cleaning up the interior of it, making it more uh, inviting. Mm. Um, and, you know, for all the burger places that are – popping up around Tacoma, you know, it was good to see uh, Jubilee open back up, you know, after being closed for a little bit. And not just open back up, but open back up uh, bigger and better, <laughs> you know. So um, Jubilee's, I like Moshi Moshi. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't been there in a yeah, long time. Yeah, see? Moshi Moshi is really good. The atmosphere is, is awesome, number one. And the broth of their ramen is legit. <laughs> so I would definitely recommend Moshi Moshi. I have to give that another try yeah, for sure. Good, yeah. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, for sure. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma today. We are part of the Channel 253 network, where you can also find these podcasts, Move to Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounders B-Team, and Taco Man. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candice.rude at gmail.com. That's Candice with an I, dot rude, R-U-U-D, at gmail.com. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rude, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.